Okay, now I'll just say uh, one, two, three, and I'll say Philip Clayton. Okay, ready? Yeah. I warm up for this one. This is where I, this is where all of a sudden all my nerves just build up. Yeah, <laughs> and, then, and then it goes away immediately after. Yeah, it's like, this is dumb. Why is this important, man? <laughs> this, this is the least interesting part of the podcast. You know, what's funny is, as humans, we are, like, terrible at risk assessment. So why yeah. is my brain all of a sudden saying, Jeff, we're kind of in danger here? Yeah, yeah, it's so silly, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, like, for some reason, like, you, you know what it is, but, like, the instinctual part of you is like, are you reaching into a bear trap right now? Yeah, like, we're no, you're not. What are you thinking, man? Yeah. Be aware. <laughs> but yeah, start whenever you're ready, and I will okay. try not to stutter hello in response. It's okay. It's okay. Uh, it, everything's fixable in posts. Okay. One, two, three. Welcome to RPG Ramblings with Jeff Jones. This is a weekly show exploring the various details of the tabletop RPG hobby through discussions with interesting people. This week, Clay Notstein joins me. We talk about a whole raft of subjects. We start by discussing his experience of being on the ballot for being an any judge. From there, we go all free-range chicken. There were no fences to constrain us. This is a long episode, so get comfortable, sisters and brothers. It is time to get rambling. Hello, Clayton. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? It is going good. So you are, I think, the only person that I've ever known that was up for being a judge for the Ennies. Oh, that's funny. I thought you were going to say uh, the only one who was up for it and didn't get it. And I was. Well, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is odd because everybody I know, it's, yeah, they, they've gotten it. Yes. Yeah, so you're up. So, so how does one become on the slate? Uh, th- that's the funny part. Uh, you just apply and you just, you end up on the slate. Like they uh, had like a little call out saying, hey, you should apply if you're interested. And I was like, Sure, I'll apply. And then I did. And then I was on the ballot. And I was like, what? Like, I thought there was a figure process to this. Do you want to check to see if I'm even qualified? But uh, yeah, no, that's that's literally what it is. You you answered the Q&A. And I answered the Q&A thinking it was for someone to vet me. Turns out they took everything I said in the Q&A and just put that as my profile on the vote. You know, I to, to, so... I don't think I've ever, I'm not sure if I've ever voted for judges before, yeah. uh, but since, you know, you're on there, I felt obligated to uh, at least put a, a <laughs> that was my uh, in, that was my strategy. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, just gonna, get on the podcast. People know me. Yeah. Get enough people that would be, uh, so anyway, and so I think the one thing that did surprise me was just how voluminous or, super, I don't know what's word, but like everybody's profile was like, it was like, in, it was like, so much like you said it was just so much for so much again i did not know if if that were the case i would have written like six sentences at most bullet points done you know uh and maybe i didn't read the fine print but if there was some of it it was it was very fine and very very distant from where i was looking so yeah everyone had so much stuff and then people who didn't have much you got the sensation that they didn't care whether they were running or not. It was like, it was one or two, one of two camps. It was nowhere in the middle. Yeah, it was just, and I think the thing is, is like, you know, I assumed that there was some sort of like 
each person had some sort of bona fides, even though mm-hmm. I, I understand it is democratic. I, I, I assumed that, that the, the applicants were like curated. Maybe they were curated. Maybe you were the, you people were the top of whatever, but just maybe it, but it didn't say like, okay, you know, Clayton's got, you know, th- this background, he's great. This person has this background, they're great. And this is why we're thinking these people are good. It wasn't any of that. It's just like, it was just kind of chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. There's a real like swath of people and you definitely got a sensation of, um, I'm trying to figure out how to word this, but like, it felt like a hobby award show in the sense of like, <laughs> you had, you had some people who were going at, it like it was a professional creative award show, like an industry award. And then you had other applicants who were, you know, probably just as qualified, but like they treated it more like it was a fun sort of jovial thing between like friends or just like, like almost like a, like a MySpace profile, you know, <laughs> like it was just like, sort of quips or whatever and yeah it was, it was very strange like reading other people's things and then me being like I and I, I had the same thing you did which is like I don't know like anyone on these ballots ever like I never know right. the judges on the award shows and part of the reason why is because there's a one of the rules is that you can't have published anything at least not for like three years which is impossible if you're in working in RPGs and trying to make a living off of it you have to publish like often you have to be making content constantly. So if you're not publishing, if you're not collaborating with anyone for three years, you're probably effectively not in the industry anymore, or you're never in it, quote unquote, in a public facing way at all. So I think, uh, I guess the real question is first off, Jeff, do you watch, uh, live plays and like YouTubers about it? No. Me either. And that I think is the only people left once those like me, who's the odd duck who hasn't doesn't produce stuff, but it's just like an educating sort of yeah. like influencer. I think, but I think you and I would think that you well, <laughs> we're making a lot, I'm making a lot of assumptions, you know. Yeah. And I can understand you don't want to be create an incestuous like thing going on where creators are just putting their buddies. And I I, I understand that, but but man, it's a lot of times the people who are in the industry producing stuff, they know they are the ones that understand. That, and the funny thing too is like that is like most creative award shows. That's the Academy Awards. The Academy Awards is a bunch of pu- like colleagues voting for each other. Yeah. And what and maybe they're not all actors. Some of them are, you know, producers and so on and so forth. But that's a lot of them. And then uh, in my actual day job, my professional career. There's way too many award shows. There's the one show, there's the DNAD, which is Design and Advertising Awards in London. And uh, God, three dozen more. And most of them, the judges are made up of either previous winners or just dignitaries and like, quote unquote, luminaries of the industry. And they're all got ties to everything, you know? So like they recuse themselves constantly or, you know, they make like the, they sign like all sorts of agreements that they're not going to show bias and they're going to step out when necessary, so on and so forth. So it's a really interesting to see like so many of the award shows in tabletop is the, like they, they try to avoid it so much when uh, other industries that I would consider probably bigger economically uh, don't do it. Don't, don't worry about that as much. Yeah, I think, you know, in we've been seeing 
um, I say we've been seeing, as if I somehow follow the Ennies and, and passionately care about the Ennies for, but, you know, a lot of the larger companies have stopped, you know, putting stuff in the, uh, in, yeah. in for review. And I think it's a nice thing. Um, yeah. That it, it tends to, in some ways, favor, well, I don't say favor, but allows smaller presses to get, yeah. you know, some attention. Yeah, no, for sure. Like if uh, if Dungeons and Dragons, like Wizards of the Coast, always submitted stuff along with, you know, Chaosium with Call of Cthulhu, no one else would win because right. it's it's a it's a popularity contest. And I don't mean that in a disparaging way, but it quite literally is voted on by <laughs> literally the is a popularity contest. Yeah, and like oftentimes, you know, part of like especially with the way it's formatted, which is it's just the pick, it's just the name. It's not even the cover. It's not the thing that you're voting on. So like, for instance, in the, I think there's a section where you vote on like the cover and uh, previous years, you had to go Google the cover yourself. They were not going to show you what the cover looked. They would just say the name of the game. And uh, that puts a lot of impetus on like top of mind, who, which brand has the, you know, name recognition and who does it. Because uh, if you are a Dungeons and Dragons player, or even if you're just a person who likes things and doesn't hate Dungeons and Dragons, you look at a list, you don't recognize any of them. You see, uh, you know, Horde of the Dragon Queen, and you're like, <laughs> yeah. I remember that cover. That one was cool. <laughs> Done. Number well, it, one, gold. To, to me, it's like voting in local elections. Yeah, a little yeah, it's bit. Like, yeah, you little. go through this, you're like, who is this? I don't know. Is this judge good? Or should I be voting him out? I don't know. Dog catcher. I, yeah, <laughs> I spend, I spend way too much time every local election, like googling, looking up people. And the funny thing too is, like, you would think if you knew what your political beliefs were, which I do, and I were to go online with, you know, I'm, I'm a very liberal person. I live in Boston. Not very surprising, but I would think that I, I could go to like organizations that share my values, and they would just tell me right. who to vote for. And no one does. So I'm always like, who is this commissioner and who's this judge and so on and so forth. And then meanwhile, I mean, when I used to vote in Ohio, when I used to live there, you'd always get like people with real spooky, like names like Virgil Good or something on there. And you'd be like, I don't know who that is, but he's part of a political party that I don't even recognize. So he's not he's getting the vote. He's obviously in the Northeast. He's obviously part of some cult. What, yeah, like, what is the Constitution Party? I don't know. I'm not voting for it. So And so I vote for Horde of the Dragon Queen. Boom. Done. <laughs> well, the, I think the thing is, too, it's like, um, yeah, it, it, it is like, it, but the other problem, I guess, you probably shouldn't be going on to politics, but the, the, the other area is, then you start going along, if you start going along party lines. Yeah. For some, There are some jobs that have nothing to do with a person's political affiliation. And maybe somebody that's diametrically opposed to you on this may be a better circuit clerk. I don't know. You know, it's like, what yeah. are we judging these up by? Yeah, well, I will say, and this is where we probably should transition from, based off the past few years, I would probably, uh, even if, uh, you know, someone who I didn't agree with politically was uh, a better, quote unquote, like, auditor, I'd probably be like, mm, nah, <laughs> voting for anyone else other than you, even if you're the most qualified. Yeah, I think the problem is too is you know especially with a label, it it becomes very generalized. And it's hard, mm -hmm. but, but I think the thing is a lot of these things are, and that's the same thing with these games. They're very small. Right? Yeah, it's the same and, type of thing. 
and like, one of the things about it too, sorry to interrupt you. Oh, but no, go like, ahead. Some of, these ga- some of these games are like, they're not meant for everybody. That's why they're good. Like, that's what makes them awesome. And when you put them up to vote with a bunch of people who, where the, the name of the game is being known by lots of people and being liked by as many people as possible, some of those awards don't win. You know, or some, some of those people who should win don't win. Yeah, I think that's what's hard because, I mean, when I look at, you know, the problem is, is, you know, you look at a lot of these games and some of them, you know, it's easy to kind of give the vote for the little guy, but sometimes it's just like, I've got no experience with this. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you know, viewing art, you know, most beautiful book, whatever, whatever that category is. Yeah. Sure, that one you can do, but some of these others just like, I don't understand the mechanics. I even, I've never seen this until this moment. Yeah. Yeah, I had a conversation with my, one of my friends about that because we were talking about uh, Heart, City Beneath, which is uh, made Oh, by, yeah. That looked beautiful. Yeah, great-looking game. I mean, it, it's got the same uh, sort of art style. It's, like, pulpy and thick lines and real saturated of, like, Darkest Dungeon, if you know that video game. So it's really cool. Uh, but it, I think it won, like, the award for layout. And I said to my friend, I was like, you know, that game is great for a multitude of reasons and it should have won the award in certain categories it was in, but that's not the award I think it should have won for. Uh, not to say that it's layouts bad because I don't think the layout was bad on any of the nominate nominees, but I did think it was strange that it was on the list and won like the gold, you know, compared to like so many other games that had come out that year. Yeah. You kind of would almost would think that, you know, that they would, put it like a, say a PowerPoint and say, these are three spreads mm-hmm. and this is why, you know, this one's being considered for. You know. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And uh, I know why they don't maybe do it so much is because ev- the more effort they put into curating the way it's presented, the more it can pose the threat or the s- suggestion that maybe there's a bias within the yeah but i think the, the problem judges. is obviously you and i could see that but the and i think you can be biased against people that have more of the the uh the funding or the the size but i think yeah. what we're also seeing is it still clumps to there is a bias like the, yeah it's, it's unavoidable <laughs> that's the other thing though too is like <laughs> like i think what would be very nice and I, I would like to see some more award shows in general the ones that are for you know professional graphic designers and advertising but I love it when you see you know, a, a product or a thing or a person win an award and then the people who vote for it, the judges, the official people give a blurb as to why they thought that was great. Yeah. That's because that, that, that adds context that I think is super informative. I think it's educational. I think it's entertaining, but, uh, and, th- and that's yeah. what uh, they do with the, uh, the, the judge showcase every year like the judges sort of like showcase one of their favorite game of the pack that they th- think needs to be seen at the ennies and that's cool I-, I would like to see more of that i think that's the that's the stuff that like the awards can provide that are that's missing from the hobby you know a like super official platform with a sort of critical analysis of something yeah it, it does still have like uh the uh few surprise winners like with uh diogo's work uh Diogo Nog- Nog- oh yeah Nogueira. yeah <laughs> it sh- it it. 
I, 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 uh, I'm so terrible at pronouncing uh, Portuguese names because I learned Spanish. So, you know, they're not the same. Let's put it that way. Uh, but Diego's work is like awesome. It's about time. Like I know uh, Diego says, uh, that they were surprised and a lot of other people were like, this is an amazing comeback hit. And I'm like, Joe has been doing like making stuff like way, way more than anyone else for years now. And, and it's all been at this almost same level of polish. So like having Diego's work come together with like Gavin Norman's oh, like, right. work, it's like, it's a no brainer. This sucker's going to win. So long as people are not, you know, absolutely, you know, I, I what's the word for not right. You know, they're not correct. I think the cover definitely um, helped it a lot. Oh, yeah. I mean, it is such a visually striking uh, mm-hmm. cover. I it's mean, got, even it's at, got even great a small colors. size, yeah, in a small size, it just it stands out. Yeah, I uh, joked with a couple of my friends. I have I have two friends who have who like to make uh, skirmish like mini games, like sort of like uh, Malifaux or warhammer or something like that but they make it on a smaller scale and they they participate in multiple like contests and they've won every single one so we, we've made a joke now in the group it's like this this is rigged you guys keep winning but uh the thing that they always say though is they're like you know what we're really proud of these rules but we think the thumbnail is why everyone voted for us <laughs> like we think the thumbnail is winning us these game these uh com- competitions and it's like yeah you're probably at least to some extent correct the thumbnail has a bit like thumbnail, the cover, the whatever it is that's visually showing to people does a lot of legwork. Yeah. And I think the idea is, you know, it even goes with art. I mean, it, you, you need to have good art to be successful, but it doesn't yeah. make it a good product, but it, you have to have visually, it has to be appealing. Otherwise people won't even pick it up. Yeah. There's a um, sort of an maybe over uh, cited phenomenon ux and sort of like visual design called the aesthetic usability effect and the premise of that theory or that idea it posits that games that are objects that are aesthetically pleasing will be used more and appreciated more regardless of like what how it's actually designed internally like users will just find it more enjoyable purely on the basis of its of its aesthetics and they will be more willing to forgive it for like bad things. <laughs> yeah. So long as it looks good, which, yeah, that's, that's true. Like, I mean, that's sort of the MO of uh dungeons and dragons uh, at wizards, you know, that they can make a uh, maybe bad products, but nothing looks bad. Yeah. And I think the thing too, it's like, but even if you have a, a game system you love, but you know, it's clunky, you're still going to, you're still going to go with it. Mm-hmm. It's very comfortable it's been worn in a way that if it's nice in your hand, yeah, you know, yeah. it's just like, it may not be the right thing, but you know, it works the best. Yeah. I mean, I will say that uh, despite my, my desire and constant or like attempts to play other games, I've, I've played Dungeons and Dragons so much over the years that it's a little bit like um, what I imagine like a, a good driver is with just the right car. Like, it may not be the perfect like vehicle, but 
you know how to make handbrake turns and stuff with that thing for days. So you're so even though it may not be great, you can do more with it than you could with other games that you're not familiar with. Oh, you've done better than me. I just move around so much. I'm just uh, I only have a slight competence in any one thing. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's it's it helps that uh you know you learn the the complicated Dungeons and Dragons with like three point five. <sighs> And then uh, you get really good at that. And then every other D&D after that feels a lot easier. Yeah, I, I just, I, well, so I, there, I had, a, had a gap decade. So I missed all that. And when I came back, it was, I, I, my, my brain just rebelled against the, the whole thing. I mean, the three point, yeah. I, I, I enjoyed it on a, on a playing it as um, Neverwinter Nights. I mean, loved it. Oh, yeah. But after the other than that, it's like forget it. It's just like well, which version were you playing before the uh the hiatus? Was it okay, second so, edition? So I so I stopped playing D D probably back in the late 80s. So it was Advanced Engines and Dragons was the nice. last thing that I played. And then then I would play other things, and I just it was like 15 years not playing. And so when I came back back somebody was running a 3.5 game i played in it uh it was okay it was mostly role-playing it was so it was fine it was cool yeah the second one was more fighting and it just made no sense and then <laughs> I, I tried fifth edition and then now i'm kind of ran a little bit of axe a little bit of some other things so yeah i'm i think i'm kind of leaning more towards maybe trying a little bit of BX, but I mainly play other games is what I mainly run. So yeah. Yeah, I, I I'm a serial uh new game system. I'm 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 a fan of cult of the new. I just keep trying new systems and playing those and enjoying those rather yeah. than play the same thing anymore. I, I so like I so the problem is I just need to run stuff. So I I have limited time. Mm-hmm. And so I really would love to just run like several games and play in several games every week. But I've noticed that I think, you know, um, going to uh, Ultraviolet Grasslands. So I tried making that go work with Gen- the Genesis system, which was not great. Yeah. <laughs> Sounds like a challenge, especially since uh, Ultraviolet Grassland has uh, what, CCAT or whatever, whatever yeah. it's called? It's super simple system. Yeah. He's actually embellishing that now, but. Yeah, but yeah. really, you know, looking back, I think it really is intended for BX. And so then I did play around a little bit with, um, I did get, uh, so Axe, I kind of really didn't quite care for. But then uh, Worlds Without Number, the uh, Kevin Crawford, um, he does a BX, but he puts Traveler skills attached to it. It's like, well, that's perfect. That sounds fun. Yeah, it's, it's a 2D6 system, so it's just like, and so yeah. it's like, I really kind of dig that. So I'd like to do something with that, but then now OSE is the big hotness. I want to start designing some stuff and putting it out probably for OSE, so then it's just like, yeah, I, I don't I'd like be, it as well, but. You'd be, you'd be familiar with OSE. It's it's before the hiatus. I mean, effectively. Yeah, it is. I, we And we used to play to a certain degree, but man, we play a lot of, but we play also a lot of different games too, but uh, it was, um it's just it's just interesting. It's interesting sensibilities, design, mm-hmm. way things have changed, way things are going back. I really I think I really 
love more of the deconstructing and reconstructing of mechanics more towards an old design than I do, you know, stuff that was like designed in the, in the aughts. All right. Yeah. I, uh, lately I've been playing. I told you I was playing heart, which is a fun game. It's rolling a D eight D 10 or something. I can't remember actually is a D 10. Yeah. You're rolling a D 10. Like often you grab a couple D 10. So it's kind of like a dice pool system and that's fun. And then I've been playing a lot of games by uh, like Jason Cordova and the folks over at the gauntlet, which are these systems that usually it's like roll one D six and then you interpret the results. And I love the like elegance of, of those systems. And I, and I, I love another thing about it, which we can talk about later, but every time I roll, I'm, I'm just like, I hate the fact that there's that part of my brain. That's like, I want to roll more dice than just one, <laughs> you know, I want to roll. I agree. There's something satisfactory. I, to me, yeah, I agree. I think a D20, a single D20 is the absolute worst thing to roll. It does not, except for a D4. They yeah. don't feel good. They just don't feel good. But in 1D6 isn't great, but you get 2 or 3D6, that feels great. It feels good, yeah. A handful I, of D6s. <laughs> I, 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 I hate that, uh, you know, it's like, what's the best rule in this game? It's the one that lets your your primate brain just, like, roll big, you know, noodly rocks. You know, whichever one lets you throw, like, the biggest rocks in the most of them, that's the one that's going to make people feel the best more often than not. Like big chunky boys just lining on the table. That's good. Forget your curves, you know, and your uh, your ratios and your systems and your feedback loops. Right. You want to throw big chunky boys. Well, I think what happens is when you do that, it starts to eliminate the brain's ability to calculate probabilities. Mm-hmm. It it sort of hides it where you 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 can. I mean, like have you played Coriolis or any of the the free league games? I I've been yeah I played a little bit of the free league games. Um, so I you can I, you can look at the chart and say okay I know if I roll four d six I've got a sixteen percent chance on one try. I mean you can look all that up, but yeah. when you're rolling it doesn't feel like that. Yeah no I I like uh, despite being a relatively strategically my person. I mean my favorite thing is talking about layout, so I'm pretty pragmatic guy uh but there's just something about being like throwing the dice and it's like i don't i'm not thinking about odds or ratios here i'm just looking for the big numbers that say boom you know and that's that's about it cortex system have you ever played any cortex games no i haven't oh my goodness that is that is such a the problem is it's it's abstracting a way that's sometimes hard to to deal with but yeah but the nice thing is you you do build up a dice pool and you roll. And the nice thing is a GM is uh, ones, anything that rolls up a one, that dice type goes into your doom pool. Yeah. So sometimes I, I have the, heard about this. Yeah. Yeah. So the bigger dice that they roll, you, they get a whole bunch of dice. As a GM, you're like, I'm going to get me some nice dice for my doom pool out of this. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> is this the, is uh cortex, the game that also has exploding dice where you hit a number and you get to roll it again. No. Oh no. man. Now that's a fun mechanic for dice. Like not only have you rolled well, but we're going to give you more dice to throw. Like and you can just, and then just that, that, uh, that lure, that intoxicating sensation of, Hey, you could, you could maybe never stop rolling. You could just keep rolling dice this whole game. And I think it's happened with some games. I hear some games this is back in 1998, they're still rolling. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> it's the world's record. They Once they stop rolling, they'll they'll be in the world's record. <laughs> yeah, there was a game I played uh, not too long ago that had exploding dice. And 
I didn't like a lot of things about the game. It, they weren't my to my taste. What was it? I'm trying to remember. That's the thing. It's uh, it was a Savage Worlds. It was Savage Worlds. That's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. We can talk about why that wasn't satisfying. Yeah, well, we did, I think, to some extent. Uh, I think it was partly just... Uh, the, the problem with Universal System games, for me, oftentimes, is you can do this thing, but it, it usually ends up coming out as like some sort of like super num- numerical thing or a very like systematic like system that kind of feels universal it's played for everything and doesn't necessarily have like evocative qualities to it uh, this is all a very uh not uh strong way of saying that i didn't enjoy it but uh i did not I, I, but i did like the exploding dice i, I love rolling a, a six or what have you and being like roll it again and be like all right cool you just keep going i think the problem with that game was to, for me was it does explode, but the exploding is only on your to hit. Yes. And then your hits only raise every fourth. Is it every fourth? That's what it was. Yes. I remember now. The <laughs> thing I don't like. How intuitive is this? Yeah. The th- yeah. It was so anti-intuitive. It, there was nothing intuitive about the system. And we, we talked about like, I don't need to be aware of the, my, like my odds and my ratios and the yeah. curve and all that. But I want to know at least the simplicity of like what I want and I can, I get it in savage worlds, but it's not as simple as you want a high number or you want the lowest number. It's always like some sort of contrived thing. That's based off a logic that has nothing to do with anything besides the game itself. Like remember you have to roll like 2d six and you have to go and find out if it's a multiple of another number and then you got to do some division sometimes. And it's like, why are we doing all these things? (laughs) Like, I just want to play, like, I'll do math, but like, let me do like math that like means that I, my gun does more damage, (laughs) you know, like simple stuff like that. You know, I, I don't, it, it just, it felt very detached. And we ended up doing talking more about the rules and like what these numbers mean and like doing the math of it. Than we did actually like talking about the care, the game, the story, the characters. And sometimes that's good. Like I like the gameable parts of games. Like that's, I have a bunch of board games right next to me because I like that. But part of what's fun about the board games is that you get the logic of them. You understand like what these gears are doing as they're interlocking. And I never quite understood what the gears were doing in Savage Worlds and why they were interlocking or why the gears were even designed this way in the first place. Like, why do this when you could have just done, you know, a, a different system altogether? But to me, I found uh, not satisfying is you get the exploding dice. Mm-hmm. It's exciting. And you roll, and it, maybe you get several rolls. You're like, yes. But then when it actually comes down to dealing damage, it may just still be a big goose egg that you really don't do that much. Yeah, like for all that excitement, all that work, and all that rolling, it still may not really make much difference. Yeah, where I think with like other games, like with the Modifius Two D Twenty, which I I I think I would like the later systems, but the idea is, you know, in some of these other games like Coriolis, the more the better you hit, the more damage you do, mm-hmm. or the more things it powers. Where there it's not, you know, which I think is kind of nice tying them together that way. Yeah. I, I like the Modifius like 2D20 system for a lot of reasons. But I will say, I, uh, I, every time uh, now Modifius gets a new IP, I'm like, please just put it in another system. 
the system can't do all of them. It can't, this Modifius is applying the 2D20 system with some edits to like vastly different genres where I'm like, come on, like this system can't work for Alien and Dune and Fallout RPG and like whatever else they have nowadays, like Conan. Like these, these are yeah. all so vastly different from each other. How can these, uh, these same curves, these same number systems apply to all of them equally in a way that's satisfying. I think so. Well, I got the I got the Conan. I, I bought the I bought in at the PDFs for the Kickstarter, and I and I found that system when we try to play it as just terrible. I mean, absolutely terrible. But I think they've actually improved it. Like to, when they got to John Carter, a friend of mine loves it at the John Carter level. And I think probably yeah. Star Trek might be decent as well. I've got Trek, they all have like a little like tweaks on the on the rules which is nice but I, I like the ones where the tweaks are simplifying the rules in a way that's interesting rather than bolting on something new because it wasn't like the system was already like super lightweight to begin with no and my friend he blames jay little um his theory uh, maybe we've, i don't know if we've talked about this before but there are people who are brilliant designers but there needs to be somebody that reins them in and tells them no and saying you've gone too far and you're creating extra systems that have no business being like Star Wars. Right. Like with George this, Lucas. Have you played the FF? No, no I mean the, the FFG Star Wars. Have you played that? No, I haven't. So they got all these crazy dice, which is kind of cool. You got yeah. your access. That's actually have, the thing that kept me away from it. I was like, yeah. I don't I don't want proprietary dice. It's no, I think it's I think it's. Yeah, I, I think it's, it didn't bother me, but I can understand. Yeah. But the problem is, is the concept's great, but the problem is in execution, then you you end up like, it still comes in the end that people are looking at a chart for five minutes trying to figure out how they want to spend their, you know, their mm-hmm. their, their boons and their banes or whatever it's called. And that just kills gameplay. And the second one is a critic role is a D100 table. Where'd that even come from? Yeah, well, why is why, why are we using a D one hundred now? Yeah, it's, <laughs> I I feel like if you're gonna do that, if you're gonna have like the subsystems use vastly different things, they're lateral changes. They have no verticality to the, what's pre-existing in the system. Then you have to lean hard into it. Like a good example of a game that like leans hard into like we're just gonna keep making stuff stranger and stranger and stranger is like uh why is my brain already blanking? dcc oh yeah that's it dungeon crawl classics dungeon crawl classics is like it dry it, it steers right into the skid they're like we're gonna you know what the classic fancy dice are enough we're gonna add systems for the d30 and the d7 <laughs> there's gonna be a d2 brought in it won't be a coin it will be a piece of dice a piece of plastic and it will be d2 like they do all sorts of wild stuff in that game. And honestly, and like I they got some systems where they're like the adventure says, cut out a piece of paper and use it like a mask. And it's like this is now part of the game's like rules. And you're like, all right, okay, let's do this. This is why not? You know, when there's already a hundred spells that do really wild stuff anyway, might as well just add more weird stuff to it. Have you uh so I enjoy playing. I don't think I would ever run a DCC or MCC uh game. Have I've you played, played in a little bit of it. It's it's fun. It but it's fun in a very uh unique way. Yeah, if somebody's experienced, it works out great, but I, I can't imagine trying to just GM something 
I mean, the amount of cognitive load and all these charts and understanding, but yeah. Well, and I, I think that's uh, the perk for me is that I almost exclusively run games with people who don't, who I am the only reason why they're playing an RPG because I can just ignore all those things and they never ask me what's missing. <laughs> like we, we uh, play like D and D or something and uh, I'll, you know, cause I'll teach it and I'll be like to the people who are the magic users. Cause you know, there's, there's not a, more, a crueler thing to do to somebody than to bring somebody new into RPGs and be like, Hey, you're going to play a Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition wizard. <laughs> I sit down real quick. I got to explain to you like how spells work. No, I, I just, I sit there and I'm like, here's your character sheet. You can cast any of these spells, however many times, you know, times you want. This one, you're going to choose two of them. And this one, you can choose once. That's it. That's all. No more for you to learn. I'm not going to explain to you why they're in different sections unless you ask. I'm not going to tell you why. I'm not even going to tell you that they're called spell ranks or spell levels, you know, and how that's different from regular class level. No. Here you go. This is it. So if you're running, if you're going to run a a D&D game, is it going to be fifth edition? Um, right now, yeah. Um, partly because I, if I'm going to play nowadays, it's virtually, and I would rather just uh, give the players a was it a D and D Beyond character sheet and be like, here it is. You press the button; it tells you how much damage you deal. You don't need dice if you don't want to use them. Yeah, you can still do that with the with the older editions as yeah. well. But like but- Excel spreadsheets and stuff. <laughs> Yeah, it is mine. So what do you use for your virtual tabletop? I so this is funny. I uh, I have I have strong opinions about the virtual tabletops. I've tried roll 20 and I don't know how people make it work for them because I ha- I have a great computer. I just bought one. It's new. It runs all the video games I could ever want at the highest settings. My internet connection is great. I again I'm I'm living in a city that has good internet connection. And like roll 20 is like one of those things where it's like, I draw a line and then everyone has to wait for like seconds for it to like, there's so much lag and everything else. And it's, there's so much stuff on it and it just, it moves so slowly. So I was like, this is not going to work. I don't, I don't know how streamers roll, roll 20 run roll 20. And it's just so smooth. Everything just like populates on the screen and, it's doing all these special effects with the lighting and everything else. And there's no delay. So I used to do roll 20, but I gave up on it. I was like, this is uh getting detrimental to actual play. And then I tried uh, like owl radio or something, which is like this. Uh, stru- it's really uh, streamed down. It's much smaller. You just boot it up new every time. And it has a little code that you just link that you just send to people. And that one was good. Uh, but again, it's just the same problem. And so now I'm literally running RPGs on uh, Miro boards and uh, Fig Jam, which is like Fig Jam. Yeah, it's uh, Fig Jam is a new product from the people who make Figma, which is like a UX design program, like collaboration tool that's used by like ad agencies and stuff and design firms. So literally, I'm running games in like virtual whiteboards instead of tabletops. I've started using Foundry uh, is what I switched to, which I like to better roll 20. But then, but it's also, I mean, it's a resource hog. 
I mean, it will yeah. suck up memory like crazy. And, you know, so I found the performance. You can either buy it, you can buy it for 50 bucks. What's nice is a lot of games already have modules you can either get for free and then add your own stuff, or you can, some you can buy. But it's strange as on my hosting on my computer, I was experiencing more lag than I was, that I decided to do with a remote hosting. I'm not, I'm not sure what, yeah. what is going on there. Yeah, I, I, again, I I've, I don't know why it is like that with the virtual tabletops, but like, yeah, Resource Hog is right. Like, I used to run it on my laptop, and even my players are like, my laptop's fan is running real hard right now. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know why. Like, And these are like laptops that are like running like Adobe InDesign, Illustrator, yeah. and Photoshop at once. But then as soon as, uh, and they're watching Netflix all at the same time. And then as soon as they boot up roll 20, it's like the, the computer's like, hold on. The application monitor is that what it's called on the Mac activity monitor. You know, I'm looking like three gigs. Like what is it doing? Like, why? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, it's just like insane. But I think it, it's still not there, but, uh, and I can understand if that's a case, it, it kind of, so for me, as I'm stuttering through this, um, I find that what's nice about like with the uh, with Foundry is that sometimes remotely using different dice mechanics can be a little more complicated. What's nice about with some games is it simplifies the rolling of dice where you don't have to explain it to people where D and D it's, it's less. So you can always just say, roll me a D 20 and tell me what you got. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's got that going for it, which is nice. Because remotely, you know, uh, like for instance, like with if you were to use uh, play uh, Forbidden Lands, mm-hmm. you know, it's a it's a dice pool. So you have a dice pool for your stat, a dice pool for your ability, and a dice uh, pool for your for your weapon, and you roll it. And and if you want to re-roll it, you can. But if you when you re-roll it, you roll anything that's not a six or a one. Then when you're done re-roll, when you're done your re-roll, you count all your ones. Any ones that are based on your stat fatigue you yeah your stat goes down anything that's a one for your weapon degrades your weapon yeah i i I really like that system by the way i really and this gets back to the i like throwing lots of dice i don't know what it is i wish i (laughs) but i wish i was better but but to do it remotely with people you kind of need that because you know if you have five people never played it nobody my group you know love my group you know love the people that play love mm-hmm. love love but they will not read they will not read that book <laughs> yeah like... i i i love them too they're good people but <laughs> they funny. they cannot be bothered to do no, anything like that for no. me and and that and that's like that sometimes like around christmas or something they'll be like we're gonna buy you a new you know some doohickey for a dungeon master or a, a gm and it's like, no, you, you just just read the book. That'd be a, such a beautiful gift to me if you could just read the rules for your character. Like, uh, I, I it's funny talking to uh, my friends who I played Blades in the Dark with. We ran a campaign for like two years. Oh my goodness! But that was incredibly epic. Oh, it was so good. It was such a good. It was such a good campaign because also Blades in the Dark lends itself to like Guy Ritchie st- level of like cuts and like in the action and stuff so it felt very cinematic but uh they didn't read that book like i i like i tried so hard i even like i sent it to one of them and like 
I had them in, in person. I printed out the everything that they needed and like they would not read the book. But the good news was, is that that game also came with a whole load of, sh- of cheat sheets. Yes. And like, they will read those. Cause like if they have downtime where they're waiting for their turn for something, that's perfect. Like it's, it's a, it's a thing to fiddle with because it looks like a toy too. It's got like lots of little check boxes where you can mark something off little arrows that point to things and fun lists with cool little names, like all the things that they, that are fun to toy with are on that, on those pages. So I made the mistake of, or maybe not mistake, but I, when I ran it, I made a conversion to, um, to using a Cortex system. <laughs> I don't know why I do this stuff. It's just dumb, but uh, yeah, you, you sound like a masochist. Uh, yeah. It's as like, opposed okay. to the usual sadist. And I was running, I invited a friend to the uh, to some game. I think he's like, "Are you?" Actually? And I was like, "What?" You like kind of like asked him, "What?" Well, I'm you know, I like no, I'm playing the straight. Just rules is written. I I'm not planning on doing any modifications, none. But but anyway, I will say though is, uh, you know, even though I didn't, I I still use downtime. Still did the, a lot of the mechanics. I just yeah. used them in a different system. And I will say that that you know, I, even though I didn't play the actual system, I will say that whatever, uh, is it John Harper? Yeah, it's John Harper. Yeah. Even though I think there's some, some junk in the way he did certain things. Yeah. It is probably one of the best, most influential RPGs, except for maybe D and D from when I was young, that, or maybe traveler, but it has been such an influence on me. Yeah. Oh, it, it wrecked me as a, as a, <laughs> as a player designer. Like, I mean, there are a couple of games that have done that. Like, uh, trying to think of like good examples. I think, I think the list goes like, obviously D and D specifically Dungeons and Dragon advanced Dungeons and Dragons was the first one I played that one like messed me up. Cause that's the one that was, like gives you the, the first immediate high of like yeah. this is what an RPG is yeah. and you will chase it for the rest of your life. And you will never feel as happy as you were in that first game. <laughs> Uh, so that was that one, you know, and then, uh, yeah, it starts this, uh, lifelong love of wanting something you can't have. Uh, so there's that. And then the other games were fate it was a paradigm shifter. And then but do, did you, you okay. Well, did you fully, did you finally, I mean, did it, did oh, it click I got automatically? It. it clicked automatically for me. I know it didn't for you. And that's yeah. why I'm different. You know, <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, but you know, you know why it clicked different though is I did not learn Fate from Fate Core, which I don't think is the right way to play Fate or even for it to be presented. I think uh, it is better to sh- to make Fate with a theme, with a setting that's very deliberate, and then sell that because it it gives everything more context. It makes everything that's abstract less abstract. You're right. Some tropes. Right. And. The game I learned from Fate from was the first game it came out in, which was uh, Spirit of the Century, which was 1930s pulp superheroes, like sort of like League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So you had people who were playing like the Rocketeer and Indiana Jones and the Spirit and all those kinds of characters, Doc Savage. And that game's fun. And it's it's got all the Fate sort of like fixings that you are used to but it puts them into the like super well-known tropes. Like there's a, one of the characters, one of your skills is called like resolve or something like that, where it's like your ability to keep your cool. And literally they had a stunt. It's, it's still to, to, 
to me, one of the funniest fucking things I've ever read in a book and then have a player take is that there's a stunt that if your guy is really, really, really good at resolve, they can use it in place of like dexterity for like avoiding bullets and stuff. Yeah. Which means that like, and it's it's specifically for the character who's like wears a suit and is like super calm and resolved. So that meant in play, what when everyone else like you know gunfight happens and bullets start flying from Tommy guns, everyone else rolls dexterity, jump underneath like tables and stuff, and he rolls resolve to finish his drink. Yeah, you know, and like so the bullets whiz past him as he finishes it, puts it down, glass explodes from a bullet, and then now the combat starts and. <laughs> And that was him avoiding being shot was just stay cool, stay awesome, keep moving. And like that, so that's, that's all on the other games that was very influential. But after that, it was probably Dungeon World and then Blades in the Dark. Blades in the Dark was huge. Yeah, I think for me, what I, I think, so what worked for me, I think was influential, even though I'm, I've never been good at doing it, uh, is you know one the I, I love the idea of the um, those um, those looming threats whatever they're called at the moment but uh, yeah the the sort of uh, what is it called fronts or uh... yeah I love the idea of fronts but I also love like the the rules you know like be a fan of your players you know all that sort of yeah thing. The, the little regulations are are sort of like contractual like this is what you're going to do as a uh, player because the players have them and then GM GM has them. And, and so obviously. I started playing with, at that point, I was running games for teens. And so I, I changed from my, my, my role was to construct a reality and enforce that reality to let's just have a good time. So I yeah. had to make a shift, you know, they're not going to, they're not going to put up with my nonsense. I, I needed to bend to, to their reality. And, uh, and it taught me just to be a little more relaxed about things and just say, you know what? whatever happens happens you know and we'll just make whatever will be it'll be fun and yeah. i'm not going to you know that's <laughs> uh, definitely the encouraged uh like way of play too for like a lot of those games now is like don't plan too much just see what happens and let it roll and that was the beauty of blades in the dark like i didn't know mm -hmm. i would i would i would come before a session maybe tears is too much, but I would feel sick to my stomach. I am not ready. I haven't got it figured out. I have the, the just the basics of anything. Yeah. And those, and I would not say anything as much because I think as a GM, it's really easy to say, sorry guys, I put a lot into here. I'm really struggling. I hope it's a yeah. good game. It's like, I'm not going to say that. And those would be like some of the best sessions ever. Yeah. Well, I'm, I always thought it was wild. And this is, I think this is what Blades in the Dark teaches a lot of people because it sounds like you have the same thing which is i would go in with no idea how anything happened and then the best game would happen <laughs> seemingly with by the skin of my teeth you know like you're just absolutely like like we we would have like epiphanies and like big like shocker moments and they'd be like that's such a twist and i'm like i'm i'm having the twist too like i'm experiencing <laughs> yeah. it as well i didn't know that that was the case but they don't know that they don't know that the uh that I'm I'm making it all up as I go along, and I love the fact that it's the um, what do they call it uh, the engagement role. Yeah, it's cool. so I mean that stuff is just so portable. You say yeah. to somebody, you know what? I want to go do this thing. You're like, I don't know. I want to go break this guy out of jail. And you're like, I don't have a jail map. I don't have this. Yeah, just roll it dice. 
See how good you do. Yeah. You and do well. determine where this all falls apart at. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And which leaves you with a, a good opportunity to do it right. And like find the thing that's most interesting, which always ends up being a trope or something. And uh, my, my players, I'm a little, I lost my train of thought. It's gone. It's gone. It's out okay. there. Okay. So, Blades in the Dark. Uh, Blades it, in the Dark. The tropes. It usually falls into it being a trope. Oh, I, yeah. I just, I love, I love the tropes and how you can lean in on them. Like, um, and, and, and the thing is, is like when I do a trope, I used to, when I first started, especially with Dungeons and Dragons, is you want to avoid the tropes because you feel like it's contrived and it's not good. But here's the truth everyone loves tropes. Yeah. They're awesome. And and they're way more. And what what's good about them isn't the fact isn't just the trope, but the way that the trope is applied in that particular context. So my group uh, in Blades in the Dark, like we're pulling out all the like Guy Ritchie like quotes and like characters. We're doing lots of like sort of like snatch stuff or two uh, two smoking barrels. And uh, we had a bit where like they're in Iron Hook and like they don't know how they're going to get out of Iron Hook. And they did an engagement role. And it was like, I know something bad has to happen. And it's like, there's what one, they do, the game does two things that I think are really cool. It leaves lots of just, I, I call it, uh, they load up the, uh, the powder barrels around. Like, there's always a few somewhere that, need, that can be lit and cause chaos in almost every Blades in the Dark. Some, something's always on the brink of exploding. So there's that quality. And then there's the other thing, which is like sort of like the black box or black boxing, which is a sort of a technique I use in my games where if the players do something that seems really smart, really cool, but I have no idea what the impact is, I say, that's cool. And I write it down, I put a little box around it. And then as soon as I need a, a reason for why a thing happens, I go back to my little boxes and I find one that's relevant. And I'm like, oh, you remember that thing you did? this is what happened because you did that thing. And like, they're like, Oh, sick. You know, that's awesome. <laughs> like uh, they, they literally um, trying to escape from iron hook prison. Blades of the dark is a crime game. They're playing criminals and they failed. Their characters died, but there was a little box that said that uh, one of they had become friends with literally one other person in the prison from a rival gang who owed them something. And they were a poisoner. And so it's like, how are they going to get out of this? Because we don't want them to die. And so the cut is them being buried and then the other gang digging them up yeah, and opening up the coffin. And they're still alive because the poisoner gave them a drop that made them look like they were dead. And they were off. We're back to it. You know, they, how'd they escape prison? They, they got killed and buried and then dug back up and it turns out they weren't dead at all and, and everyone at the table was like awesome and like super excited about the fact that you know they were so smart that they became friends with that one guy and i'm sitting there like happy uh, it's like god damn i'm glad i wrote down that guy's name you know <laughs> otherwise we'd be in trouble yeah that's what i'm trying to do because with the coriolis game we're doing a sandbox and i'm just trying to let them just kind of do things and you know, they've done a few betrayals, helped out mm -hmm. a few people. And it's like, my goal is then is every game now to start putting in stuff from the previous games. 
And then that way, I think it does give them the ability to see that they are changing the world or, or maybe not changing the world, but it is dynamic based on their actions. Yeah. You know, I think that's what players want to see. But uh, yeah, it's it's been, yeah, it's just been, uh, like I say, it's been such a, a, an instrumental. And I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think what else has been for me, but I think I agree with you on those. I mean, for myself as well. Um, you know, I've, I've, you know, there's some things I've learned from like, I think that is no. I think Blades in the Dark is the I think the greatest since the initial D and D. Yeah, it's it's super influential, and it's funny too because like so much of its design was iterative. Like uh, I remember the Kickstarter; I backed it ages ago, and like I think it was like languishing in development for like two years after the Kickstarter had finally finished. And but you kept getting updates from John Harper. John Harper was like. I got this thing I want to do. It's called clocks. And, you know, a bunch of people on uh, Google plus at the time were like, yeah, cool. Let's do Google. Let's whatever these clocks thing, let's find out what that is. And then, you know, come, you know, years later and it's like, there's so many games that have clocks that have downtime procedure that have uh, the idea of stress as a health slash resource at a currency. Like all those things are like now so embedded in like other games and I remember when they were like just kind of not great written rules, you know, like on like Google Plus or on like a, a Google Doc. And that's kind of what they're doing even with the alien game where you are getting stress mm-hmm. and you want a certain amount of stress. Yeah. Same thing with Blades of the Dark. You, you want a little bit of stress. You, you want to start using that stress, but you don't want too much. Yeah. <laughs> that's when things start to go bad. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it, you're right. It is interesting how we are seeing games, mechanics, and, and paradigms fold again on each other. Yeah. One of the uh, other games that's like one of those big, like, wow, this is having a big influence on me. Like, it, it had a big impact on me is uh, Brindlewood Bay, which I think I talked to you once before. Yeah, and we probably did talk about that because I, I enjoyed running that, but it's hard. It, it, is, it is hard, yeah. Uh, but I, I love the the approach to mystery. It needs a it needs a good good group of players though, because I played it once with uh, some players that were really good and, and some that were not so like. Let's, actually, it's not good. It's proactive. Like who who's going to like openly theorize about what's going on at the table and who isn't? Because you need the people who are like, I think I, I know what's going on, and then they explain it to everyone at the table, and then you're just sitting there being like. That's a good idea, actually. I'm going to put a twist on that, but that's mine now. You know, <laughs> that's how you, that's how you play. And uh, I mean, that's how it normally happens. And like, or, and I, to the point now where if I'm a player, I'm like trying to give out pearls to my GM. I want him to take one of my hooks for me so that I can see it in the game. I think what needs to happen is the problem I had, and I think we discussed before, was you know because you have a list of clues. Yeah. And so you're kind of making stuff up, but but there is no predetermined who who was the person that is yeah. the is the, mis- the, the mystery is not actually solved until it's being played. Yeah, and exactly. It's not solved until they make the role to, that success shows that they're so they make a it's kind of like with a clue. Mm-hmm. Colonel Mustard in the library of the candlestick, roll the dice. Yeah. You know, yes or no. Okay, move on. Um but the problem was is there's 
what I had done is created a bunch of hooks that then now the person wanted to go solve all those mysteries. Like what were yeah. those crates doing here? It's like, and I'm thinking, I don't know. I don't know three quarters of stuff yeah. I just threw at you. It's just like, I threw it out there just saying it's this without any thinking it through because yeah. until I need to open it. But now it's like, I guess the way you could do it is in, and you could run the next game with your mystery and those would be key items. I yeah. suppose is one way of doing it. I, uh, one way I get around that. And this, I think this is the actual like paradigm shift from, the gauntlet games and everything else is the power to just tell players exactly what you need them to know so that they stop wasting energy on the other thing that you don't want them to know. Uh, specifically, like a good example is like, cause I, and I, I know this cause I've like listened to Cordova talk about it. That's the designer of Brindlewood Bay or yeah, Brindlewood Bay. But uh, it's like, if they start theorizing about other clues at the end of it, you're like, actually those were not related. It doesn't matter. But there are some clues that are relevant to a meta plot and it was <laughs> and it was these three clues and that's all you tell them but you but you tell them what to to care about yeah and it because it turns out like and i and i love this 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 idea because it's like the, the game the mystery is not the players figuring out what matters the mystery is the players knowing what matters but not knowing why it matters that's the mystery and like a lot of like gauntlet games like a, a good example of one is like trophy is like one of the recommendations is show them the map, show the players the whole map. Their characters don't know the map, but the players will now. And just have it have a conversation that says, "Hey, here's what the map looks like. This is what the dungeon is. Your characters know nothing about this. Only you know about it. But I want it here so that we're no longer going to just waste any time talking about and debating what the dimensions of the room are. You know what the dimensions of the room are." <laughs> You know, you know where the secret doors are. You, you know, know where you know where the doors are. You know that there are three doors. You're not arguing about the fact that I stuttered and maybe there's seven doors instead of three doors. <laughs> there's three doors in this room. That these are not the thing that that is not the play. Playing the game is not trying to figure out if I make sense, which the answer is I don't. The game is knowing what makes sense and, and sussing out why that matters. So <laughs> and I, so I've started playing like that. And it makes the games a lot better. Like, I mean, there are some players I, I'm sure that would probably, it wouldn't be great for, but I generally play with pretty good people. Like, so they're, they're cool with being able to be like, oh yeah, okay. I know this dungeon, but like my, my characters don't. And then well, they take on this role that's completely different. The thing different. is, so I played it, I played in a um, convention game this year. Uh, yeah. yeah, you got to finally make it to Game Hulk Con uh, after COVID yeah. nonsense. But, you know, there are, people who want to explore every single detail and they want to and they want to clear an entire level yeah they're completionist they're completionist but if you put that out there it actually works out good because it it allows them to be the completionists and everybody else can say and you get right to the the part that's fun yeah now, the completionists may enjoy spending 10 minutes you know searching and trying every lever and trying but in the end it's like that may not be fun for the other four yeah. players and and i think that's part of the thing too is it makes all the types of players play well together because like if if you didn't know what the dungeon looked like 
And the completionist is like, I want to find all the secret doors. Yeah. Everyone's going to be frustrated with this person yeah. if they're spending all this time trying to find a secret door when there isn't any. But if the completionist knows that there is a secret door in that room and just wants a reason for there to be for them to find the secret door, no one's going to be frustrated with them as though they're wasting time because it doesn't exist. They're just going to, they might be frustrated that they're not finding the secret door, but they're going to work with that person rather than try and like dismiss them and be like, come on, stop wasting time. Let's get into the other room. I want to, you know, put on a Boston accent and talk to the sword, you know, like, yeah, exactly. Cause you know, that's the other player, you know, in the room who normally doesn't like the completionist. It's always the, the actor. Yeah, it's it is it is funny, you know, and how that works in the dynamics and which styles and how to come to your table. And it is, I mean, obviously running the as a GM, it's very difficult. And I can see exactly how just some something simple like that can just make everybody's life easier, especially since we are now not, you know, having in person spending you know like maybe when we were young you'd you'd be there for hours and hours now you're like you know what we got about two hours of play time or three hours of play time yeah. once a week you know yeah. and we're just we we need to make this efficient yeah no exactly that that i think maybe that's partly the bias of why i like it too it's just like i don't have the time <laughs> you know like i would love to be back in like the attic playing the game for like literally like nine hours, but that's just not a possibility anymore. So it's like, let's, let's cut to the chase. Let's get to the good stuff and let's play that. Yeah. And I think that's where, uh, where mo- more modern games are good when they can do that. And they yeah. cut out a lot of the extraneous stuff and and people like blades in the dark, you know, the, the non fun stuff is everything that happens until that point of contact. So why yeah. not just eliminate all that non-fun stuff and get right to the contact? Yeah, get right to the contact, get right to where the rubber meets the road. And that's where uh, the Blades in the Dark thing of like, oh, you're doing a heist? Just roll to see how the heist goes. And yeah. then when you get into the situation that's bad, you can feel super, you, you can feel uber competent by doing a flashback to why that doesn't matter because you prepared for this exact moment. You know? Exactly. And like, I... I, I don't know how many times I ran a heist. And I, I said this in one of my reviews a couple of years ago for Blades in the Dark. But like ever since I've played like any RPG, specifically Dungeons and Dragons, there was that little little flicker in the back of my brain that's like, what if we all played rogues and just did heists? And then you try and run a heist in like D&D. And it's a slog because you it spend, is. because you want, because the players that's what i mean by you but the players want to be oceans 11 they want to they want to ha- pull out all the stops and be super good at it and they want to pull off the heist and they want to do it with flash and style and competence and but the only way to do that in D is to plan for every possibility which is really hard so you know i went years playing trying to play heist in many different games that i played in that i played it in call of cthulhu played in you know heck i think we did a heist of some kind in pendragon like we, we played we try to do a heist anytime we could because being a being a thief is fun and then played blades in the dark and finally clicked this is how we should play it this this gives gives us all the moments that we want and all the feelings that we wanted and like a fraction of the time and it happens every time we play it it never it never misses 
on those particular what, what mixes piece. good with that chocolate and another system and i forgot about this with dungeon world because i was wrong it did influence me is you can roll the uh 2d6 the six or less is a fail and you do a move seven yeah. through nine is a partial success and then uh, 10 plus is a success you can tie that with an engagement role in any game yeah and say okay i want to do i want to do a thing roll 2d6 add a modifier mm-hmm. okay now you get a devil's bargain yeah. <laughs> uh, devil's bargains are fun. Again, that, that's again that's a that's a GM to the player thing. That's not a uh, character to anybody thing, right? No. And, but you and, be but you, but that's what's there's nothing more fun than saying I am offering you this thing that will complicate your life. Yeah, yeah. And they but, say, "Yes, I'll take it." Yeah, but look but look how delicious the the salute <laughs> what you get for doing so. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and like, there's there's something about being a little horned devil, you know, on the other side of the table offering a contract that is not good for them. <laughs> That's fun. Uh, more games need to let let GMs be uh, not not evil, but like mischievous. Yeah. Well, the thing is, it's still up to the it's still to the up to the character. I mean, it's the same mm-hmm. thing with Coriolis. You reroll, you could you're going to give a GM a darkness point. In um, in uh, Cortex, you willingly take a D4, knowing you're not only going to give the GM a plot point, but you're also probably going to um, you're probably also going to um, add additional plot, you know, complications to a scene by doing that. I mean, you yeah. willingly do this, and then so when it happens, no player says that wasn't fair. You're like, they know that they, that that's them. That's exactly <laughs> yeah. them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so. this is what you wanted. You 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 said yes. <laughs> I think if you got, you know, I'd say I've got good players. You got good players, but you know, I and I was like running in a game called. Uh, so I was at Game Hall Con played. Uh, have you heard of Chew the the comic? No. I so haven't. it's the premise is well, I probably shouldn't go into, but basically, well, I was going to. It's it's a cute premise. So the idea is the avian flu was worse. It wiped out millions of people. So chickens became illegal. So it became illegal to eat chickens. So the FDA became elevated. Now they're the top governmental uh, enforcement Goal. authority. <laughs> and so this guy's last name, he's hes Asian. So his last name is Chu. But everybody, not everybody, a lot of these people in this comic have a superpower related to food. His is he experiences the last thing. He eats something. He experiences the experiences of whatever he ate's last moments. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. So I already see where this is going. Yeah, so he can't eat. He really can't eat. You know, hamburger. He can't eat hot dogs. He can't. And, and, he, and so what will happen is, you know, there's a dead body. Yeah, and he has to eat some part of it, right? Yeah, that's so disgusting. <laughs> but everybody's got uh, some sort of ability. But anyway, point was we're playing. It's it's wacky. The whole the yeah. whole thing's wacky. It's, it's, it's it sounds dark, but uh, I, I, oh, it's I very it, dark. I bet, I bet it's dark humor for sure. It is very dark humor. Yeah. And uh, but uh, anyhow, you know, I was running this game, and the guy's like, "Well, I can't remember what it was," and he's like, um, "Or you know, or just." You do something and then something bad will happen like let's see what bad happens i mean it was a, more of a narrative style game more like a, a powered by the apocalypse like let's go for this you know you get a player's mm-hmm. like you know let's not let's not be hesitant let's let's just put the the pedal to the metal and see where this car is going to take us because uh 
And that's where I think the fun is, you know, a lot of people are very conservative in their approach. And I, I could, I guess, assume yeah. why, you know, you have a character, you want to get to 10th level and, you know, but <laughs> sometimes it's just yeah. fun to see what's oh. it's going to do. I mean, that's what, that's the joy of uh, one shots is people can drive their characters like a stolen vehicle, <laughs> just recklessly dangerous, you know, doesn't matter. And I'm very disappointed because I played in a Delta Green. So we played in a Delta Green and I played in a Cthulhu and we played a, in a, uh, the, the, um, the Ken Height version one. Um, mm. uh, oh, uh, uh, Trail of Cthulhu. Yeah. And pretty much walked through unscathed and all of them. It's, yeah that's that's weird that's not normal no and so it's disappointing yeah yeah but i did have to put this guy but there's one guy whose character had to get put down i mean two different two different characters get had to get put down but yeah but, but yeah some games you really want that and I, i'm interested i'm gonna be playing an alien game and so i'm really that panic and that stress mechanic i'm really looking forward to pushing that i mean i really want to push that I, I just think, want to see what's going to happen. Are you going to run a one shot? Because like I'm told that that's the best way to run Alien. So it's uh, yeah, I'm not running it, I'm playing it, and he's doing the uh, yeah. It's it's a one shot. It's a good. It's one of the I can't remember what it's called. Not Chariot of the Gods. It's but it's it's the standard adventure. So yeah, no, I I heard it's really good. Like that that game uh, sings on the one shot model. Like because they, they they. Is he giving, uh, or are they giving out uh, preset characters, pre-made? Yes. Yeah, like, that's good. It's good. Like, it, because it, it, because they do the thing that's important. They load up the powder kegs. Like, every character's got a bunch of stuff that's going to explode. You know, like, they, they might as well have a TNT strapped to them. Well, the thing is, everybody's got a secret. So yeah. Everybody's doing something suspicious. Yeah. It's like a... It's a real fiasco, like sort of thing. Like everyone's got something that's going to get them into trouble. And so I'm really, I'm really looking forward to. And it's a group of people. So they're friends, and I've not, I've not, I've been in some of their games, but we're actually playing as players together. So it'll be even more so. So, so we can really turn it up, or I can turn it up, and it's not a problem. You know what I mean? It's just. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah it's it, it, it uh, so we'll see but anyway we're looking forward to that but yeah it's just the idea is you know push it to see where you can get it but i guess so you've so you've read through that you have the free league books you've looked through i have a few of them i don't have all of them have you so have you pl- i know we probably probably just have you played a free league game yet yeah yeah i played uh yeah, i played Morkborg, which is one of them technically well it's yeah, not i think it, it's I not, played. I would, uh, what's the uh, from the loop? Yeah, tales, tales from the loop. loop. Tales from the loop. I got that one. Have you played it? Yeah, I played it. Yeah, it was good. That one's not the two D twenty system. That's a completely different system. It was fun. Yeah. So what I found is, I find their books beautiful, 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 but practically unusable. <laughs> at the table. Well, yeah. Well, let's get, actually. So. This goes back into the aesthetic usability effect, right? Like these these games look really good, so you want to use them. And then uh, it's got like glaring issues. Like um, <laughs> I, uh, that's my thing. Like D and D published adventures, specifically like the hardcover books, look really good, look really fun. It's basically an IKEA catalog. 
It's got all sorts of cool toys, but you have to assemble all of them yourself. No, no prep work's been done in advance for you. It's actually even harder than usual. Right. And, and like that, that you can only, I can only put up with that for so long. Like there's a reason why I don't play D and D like anymore, unless like I haven't played, like I haven't played it since the beginning of the quarantine. And even then it was like, I'm just going to run a couple games and I'm done. But it's because like, I, I want to run published adventures because I, I find joy in seeing other people's work and experiencing it. In the right. Story. Cause they can do things that you, they're better at certain things than you are. Yeah. Like, and if I want to play a game where I'm crafting the story, I play blades in the dark. Like, exactly. <laughs> like, and that's like my, like, I'm, I'm obsessed with like all that, those kinds of like the, the genre tropes. So when I play something like D and D, like I want to, you know, see someone else's work and they, you know, they get lots of great writers, but those books are the way they're set up. Sometimes it's just, or it's just unusable. Like you have to do all the work. And I, my, there's one game in particular, um, Dragon Heist. If you remember, if you've ever remember seeing that one. I'm, I'm from, I never played it. I've heard, I, had, I think my son was in a game of that, but I've never played it. It is, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to run. Like it's super difficult to run. The, the book uh, makes it not easy to run it at all. One of the things that makes it complicated is like, you have all, you have these four different factions, not including all the miniature factions that are just inherent to Forgotten Realms, which is way too many, by the way. There's just like way too many things going on in Forgotten Realms to show any normal group of players that, but uh, they have all these factions and they just don't do things that you would think would be super, no like they'd be almost like second nature, like checklist items, like put all the factions on one page with the main bad guy for each one yeah. on that page. And like, here's that mo person's mode, here's that person's mode and have them just side by side. So you're like, this is what all four factions want at any given moment. This is the name of all their lieutenants or whatever. And you're good to go. And there's, they don't there's have some that. possible hooks if you want to use them against each yeah. other. Yeah. Like all that stuff would be super nice. Or like a civilization three style circles with their faces and little lines and say hates. Yeah. Works with, you know, whatever, you know, that kind of stuff would be nice. And then they do uh, this other thing where it's like they have seasons, like seasonality, where you can just, depending on which, uh, bad guy you choose to be the main bad guy for the campaign every other bad guy factions whatever becomes like a secondary faction then but you pick the main one that's going to be the antagonist for the game your campaign and that sort of decides the style of your of your game like is it going to be more horror based or is it going to be more like action heavy or is it going to be like a traditional dungeon crawl and uh but deciding which one of those decides which season you start in and then every adventure after that is going to be in the progression of those seasons and so the way the book is arranged in a way that is not, not co comprehensive or cohesive for actual use is it'll, it says winter and then it goes through every single place sequentially through the season or, or every location in winter. And then it's, you know, all these things. But then the adventure itself is shown sequentially based off of the adventure. So you'll read one adventure and then you have to, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm throwing my hand at an arc because you have to like go across the pages to get to, okay, that adventure's over. 
they're at a new location and it's spring and I have to go all the way to somewhere else in the book. And because, you know, seasons go in a cycle, you're not always shifting forward. Sometimes you're shifting back, you know, like, so you're, you'll sometimes be reading about a certain event or whatever that happens in the winter. And then you'll end up on another page, you know, later on, that's like way deeper into the campaign, but only if you had chosen the other like faction, whereas like, so like the usage and like the linearity of it and everything else is like, it's not there. Like you have to do it all yourself and it's just a nightmare. Yeah. It's, and I, I've only had the princes of the apocalypse is the only published adventure fifth adventures that I've ever bought. And that was enough to yeah. dissuade me from ever buying yeah. product from well, them ever I, again. I, Again, and I and I feel bad because again, I wanted I I buy it because I want to play the story that is written. Yeah, at least a little bit. I know it's going to go off the rails because because that's how it always is. But like because it of the way it's organized, I end up filling in the gaps in a way that is like I'm 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 off script so quickly, like immediately. That there's no way I'm actually playing someone else's like storyline. Yeah, I'm, I think that's what, what you that's really it. need is is a a setting with hooks and a few things, and just forget about the major. Yeah. And I and I think right, and and what's going to be interesting too is I've not played, I've not ran anything yet, but free league, but they kind of what way they what kind of the way their adventures are laid out is they are nonlinear, and I think they just have different factions, they have different things going on, and players decide what they're going to do with that. Yeah. So we'll see. I got the bitter reach, so we'll see how that goes. I I was I was going to uh, use the free league uh, uh, forbidden land system because I hate the setting. But I was going to try to take a I was going to take a, a, a Modifius Conan uh, adventure, Crimson Waves, and yeah. convert it. But now I think I'm going to since I had the bitter reach, and I got it on sale. I'm just gonna, you're a real sicko for that, aren't you? Yeah, but it's like I don't have time for that. I, I don't know why, but it's like I just I I think what I'm trying to find is a perfect swords and sandal. I don't know if Forbidden Lands is it, but um it, there's it, a it, Swords of the Serpentine, which is like a supposed to be a swords and sandal. Well, you, have you seen a physical copy yet? No, I haven't. It's on the boat. I don't know if it is. It's been it's been supposedly been been ready for publication or for print for like over a year. Yeah, that's right. I forgot about that. There's <laughs> There's also the uh, like cardboard apocalypse or whatever, where they're like nobody has cardboard for like shipping anything in boxes, unless you're one of those companies that just owns all the box making companies like Amazon. Yeah, yeah, it's rough. It's, it's insane. Have I you ever, have you ever played RuneQuest? Okay, okay, okay. We can we can talk about that. So, um, <laughs> so I, I went. I I I site bought the three by or the 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 box set yeah and um and on there is uh is uh jeff richard was there oh cool and signed my copy which i didn't really know him until uh oh i think my my mic was off for a bit can you hear me no i can hear you i heard you the whole time okay yeah yeah. Okay. So you just did a hard shift, but one that I wasn't anticipating, and <laughs> one that I'm more than willing to talk about. So, yes, yeah. I finally bought it. 
and um, to go ahead where you want to go, and then we'll go from there. Oh, well, I was just going to say, like, you want Sword and Sandal, like, play RuneQuest. Like, RuneQuest is, uh, like, Bronze Age-style, like, adventure. So have you have you played RuneQuest? I have, yeah. Okay, so I've not played it. I'm, I've always, you know, ogled it. It's it's got I won't lie it's got a lot of stuff that you're gonna just want to throw out immediately. <laughs> I uh, I can't lie. So I'm pretty much done with Cortex uh, system. I, I just pretty much said I, I'm not gonna do it. But so I'm reading this like, you know, I could probably convert this to Cortex. <laughs> oh no! Don't do that. No, just run it in this system because because yep. there are things in this game that you're gonna have to run. Like you're gonna have to run runes. Oh yeah. And like, you don't want, you don't want, Jeff, you don't, you don't want to, I know you do want to, but you don't actually want to, you don't do this to yourself. Don't do this to, to humanity. Just, just run the rules as written, Jeff. Don't, don't do it. The, the problem I have now is, so I will just say straight out. Yeah. I love everything about this, this game. Yeah. I, I would just say no if ands or buts but i also look at the system i'm like who am i gonna get to play this yeah <laughs> yeah and, and i'm hoping going back to this so there's the bare bones of this is on is on foundry i would i want to talk to jeff to see if he would just would have all the rules put on a foundry because it I want to play it. I think what it is, I want to play in this. I, do, I would love to run it because the, the adventures that I saw that came with it are like very cool. Yeah. Very. The setting is so neat. Yeah. It's so cool. Like it's, I, I, I don't know how to describe it though. That's the thing that's hard about it. It's, it, it is, is, it is wholly original. That, that much is certain. Like it is so unique. It is, it doesn't feel derivative of much of anything besides actual history. Right, right. There, it, right. It, but it is, it is at least more of a nuance than, uh, let's say, uh, Hyboria. Yeah. Well, yeah. Hyboria is just, uh, yeah. This is, this Howard is the not Rome. This is with the not Persia. This is the not India. This is the yeah. not. No, it's more nuanced uh, France, than France. Sure. This is the not, you know, Germany. This is the not. It, it, they still kind of do that uh, with the. I think the Lunar Empire is pretty much Rome, but the, but the. I'm not a big fan of. Okay, I'll just say I do not like high fantasy. Do not like it. Do not like mm -hmm. it at all. Um, but I like the high fantasy of Glorantha. Well, because the high fantasy Glorantha is. Uh... It's unwieldy and, and disastrous for everyone who uses it. Like that's that's helpful, right? Like that because that it keeps the world grounded, or at least uh, keeps the power level low. Still, that if you do some high level magic, you're probably gonna have to say goodbye to that character pretty quickly. I think also too is the thing that I felt with the problem with um, most fantasy is the religion there's really nothing about the religion that actually interplays into the world. It is the most superficially yeah. tied together, but here it's ingrained. It is. Ingrained it is deep. so in it. Yeah. Because Greg Stafford, 
who is the original creator and writer of it, he that he was obsessed with that stuff. That was his thing. He was a spiritualist. Like the, I think the guy died in a sweat lodge going on like a spirit journey. Like he 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 published actual articles on like spiritualism and like religion that had nothing outside of the gaming world. So yeah, he, I, I don't mean to say it in a in a, a derivative, not derivative, a derisive way. Yeah, but it's, yeah, it is steeped with the like with pagan. I don't want to say pagan. Maybe that's guys don't think, but like pagan religion, it it is very yeah. much steeped in mythology, but not, mm-hmm. but not like Western mythology we're used to. It's it's got a very yeah. It's uh, so there's there's actually a reason for that because I I, I listened to a podcast recently about it that I think is really great, but uh, so Greg wait, Stephens, wait, 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 wait. So what podcast? So <laughs> I was listening to uh a podcast uh what is it called um revisionist history which is by yes. malcolm, malcolm gladwell and it specifically was about uh the little mermaid i, I had to stop listening to it it was annoying me so so go ahead and okay. explain why i should listen to that so here, you don't have to i'm just going to tell you why it matters <laughs> so there you go uh but so the basically what it's about is about uh the little mermaid's just an inn it's, it's talking about Hans Christensen's Little Mermaid, and the thing he wrote is nothing like Disney Little right. Mermaid, obviously. But then it gets into the larger question of, like, what is the purpose of, like, folklore and, like, these tales and all the, in like, sort of like, fairy tales? And what does it, how did they change? How did they start? How did they evolve? Where were their origins and things like that? And essentially what we get down to is, like, fairy tales way back in the day and like lore and mythology and all that was meant to be at least somewhat, if not entirely inscrutable, like something that was not rational, had nothing to do with human concerns, nothing about cause and effect. People are not supposed to be able to actually understand the workings of gods and fairies right. and, fae and all that. Like it's not something that they can do, but then around, what is it like? 1200 13 14 15 whatever it was there became this idea of like the era of reason the age of reason and rationalism and suddenly they started taking all these old folklore about kelpie and you know lights in the swamp gas and monsters that eat things up in norway and stuff they took all these like inscrutable things that are like mysterious and cannot be understood and they started applying moralistic reason to them in crafting stories about cause and effect and like this you don't do this because if you do this this bad thing happens and ever since then that's basically like you watch you when you see a mystery a fantasy there's there's a critical element missing from a lot of fantasies now which is that inscrutable like why like magical sort of unknowingness about it now it's a lot of like oh this happens because of this reason and i think high fantasy is partly that like high fantasies like oh if you craft if you do a spell this thing that's very obvious happens because it's planned and people can craft magic and it works how it's intended but um what i love about greg stafford stuff is it assumes <laughs> the uh, it assumes the old way of like magic and gods and monsters where it's like it doesn't have to make sense it's not your business to know why it, why it happens. Well, I think the other thing, it, what it also validated when I was reading it, is something I I believed or not believed, but I've been thinking about because somebody asked me about they want to do a Bronze Age game, mm-hmm. and, I, and I told them it's like 
we got you got to also get rid of the modern sensibility of things yeah you know like the like we believe things about blood and about the lungs that aren't that are scientific that's not how they thought of it no it needs what about seeing through their lens and and then i was reading through through this he's like diseases are not caused by our bacteria they are caused by spirits and bad mojo yeah and poor sanitation is just a breeding ground for those spirits and things you mm-hmm. know and the idea is that the cause and effect isn't modern science it is as you got to look at it as a way people back then would have viewed it and understood it and that's where it starts becoming much more magical yeah and uh another thing too is uh like looking at the gods in this like like glorantha which is the saying for rune quest i think it, it means a lot that uh greg stafford did not look at uh the modern interpretation of greek gods to make his gods for glorantha he didn't right. even look he didn't even look at greek gods during greek times for glorantha if you look at the cover of rune quest you probably are going to see it and you'll be like oh there's zeus on the cover with like athena and hera that's <laughs> that's a red herring don't think that these are babylonian gods yeah as in you don't want to mess with them at all they are terrifying entities who who do not care at all about the concerns of humanity except for what it does for them you know on a like sort of metaphysical level or like a valuistic sort of way so yeah like runequest has like that element like it does take influences but i think it takes influences in a much more uh deeper or compelling way than well, maybe even early system. on too it's like one of the missions that you're doing is protecting the sacred cows on this hill yeah yeah these it's are the rad. sacred cows of your religion i mean it's like yes you're finally actually doing living. the thing yeah yes this is this is what this is what you would be doing right <laughs> like and like yeah, like if if you can play video games too, they're set in Glorantha, and like one of them is like you're you're playing like the Stormbringers, who all they care about is cows. It's their main currency. So they're taking care of the cows. When all the cows die, it's the worst thing that could possibly happen to them. Like it's cows. That's the thing that matters. And there's something really fun about that. Yes, and I think the idea is especially if you are more into the role-playing aspect and there is something that you can hook onto there where it's both alien but it's also there's something still primarily right about it too yeah i mean like okay i get it yeah i i think uh yeah it's there's some there's some sort of like honest simplicity simplicity in that right like yeah maybe it's complicated why these are cows are sacred but you don't need to know know much to be like, okay, well, my job is to protect the cows and I am going to die if I don't, you know, like it's, yeah, it's, it's very good. Like I, I couldn't recommend Rude Quest enough just purely on the, the setting alone. And I'm looking at the cover. That's why I'm not looking at you. <laughs> it is, I will say. It's a beautiful book too. It is so, it is so beautiful. That artist whoever mm-hmm. she is uh that he does a lot of the stuff is I mean, i've seen on twitter that they're commissioning work i'm like it is no, there is nothing out there that even comes close to 
the absolute, I don't even know how to, magic, I, I don't even know how to describe it. Mm-hmm. The oh, color it, palettes, the, everything is just amazing. Yeah, it, it's fantastic. Like, I'm looking at uh, the the pages right now and give to do my, my thing about layout and graphic design for a moment. If you buy RuneQuest and you open it up, you're going to see that there's a very specific color used predominantly. And it's this, like, slightly bluish green color. And there's a reason for that. Bluish green is what color copper takes on when it rusts, when it, when it, when it oxidizes, this is a bronze age, copper age, like setting. Like, so a lot of things in the setting are going to be like swords, whatever, if they're not polished, bright bronze, you know, so that, so that yellow brownish color, they're going to be the color that's predominantly in this book. And it's just, it's got like wonderful sort of like quite literally Byzantine little elements here and there of like, looks like it's engraved. You get these super saturated colors that make the the gods and the monsters and everything else really pop in yeah, a way that's really cool. They're not garish. They're just, there's no. something about it. It's like, it's perfect. Yeah. And I think it's another important thing too is like historically, like that's what people would do. Like color was everything back in the day. And, it, and the idea of like muted colors or like minimalism is a modern invention. Like- well, but it's also how we view it. So, like all the paints stripped off of the marble statues. Yeah. All the ancient paintings are now uh, yellowed because of the the yeah. varnish being yellowed. Yeah. If you saw a Roman like sculpture, you wouldn't think it was elegant. You would look at it and be like, "That looks like an old navy mannequin. It is disgusting, garish, <laughs> just really uh, tacky looking." Because they would literally paint those suckers up with all this paint. And then paint on the eyes and the lips, and they'd be like, "Oh yeah, Julius Caesar needs to have nice red, voluptuous lips." And like, so if you went into a, any sort of like public setting in Rome, you'd be like, "What the hell am I looking at?" But that, but that's the thing is like, the people. I mean, people went to war over like the ability to make things purple, you know. So like, right, right. There's sense. only so much purple, and the nobility wanted that. Yeah, yeah. It's like. Back in there was a time time period where like if one civilization found out that the other civilization had a beetle that would make your cloaks purple, they'd go and kill everybody there just to get the beetles. Like that's it's wild, but that, that is how it is. So it's like it's cool to see like really vibrant colors, and like so it just it, it it brings to it a a certain amount of like charm and like surprise every time you look at it, where you're like, oh, that is as a wholly unique looking image that I'm staring at that I haven't yeah, seen. Yeah, especially before. going with it, even with the deities and such, it's like it it is it is right. It, it, you look at it, there's no standard. This isn't the deities and demigods of TSR. No. <laughs> but I will say uh that I did kind of flip through we got a book of Scott Adventures. It's not it's not as functional. I mean it's it's beautiful no. to read, but it's like there's a certain amount of functionality. I think that can get lost with uh, some of that material. Yeah. But I can forgive it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of, uh, I think writing adventures and like laying them out, it must be the hardest job. 
in RPGs because we just see so little of it done well. I know it. I know it. And I and I you know and honestly, this is going to sound weird, but you know, as much as I love the Free League books, except I hate I hate the uh, Forbidden Lands. I will not buy a hard copy of Forbidden Lands. Um, and I did buy the Bitter Reach just recently. Um, yeah, I, I bought the box set, and I actually don't really care for the uh, hardcovers, to be honest with you. <laughs> so, but um, I would really like the so I've got the old hardback of Traveler. So I've got this old uh, this old. Uh, now it's my turn to turn into a camera for. Yeah. Uh, for the people that can't see this, it's from like what nineteen yeah. so, or something. Yeah, for everyone to know what what Jeff is holding in in his hands, it looks like a math textbook. It is a black cover book with a red line that just says "Traveler" and and, and very like it looks like a manual for like disassembling your engine for like a seventy eight or something car. <laughs> and then on the interior, you get an inordinate amount of text with slightly bigger text for headings, but not big enough to make anything interesting or stand out. It's just a lot of text. And if you're lucky, there'll be a graph. Yes, or a picture occasionally. Maybe a picture, but like, I think they will, I, I know they have more than six pictures in that like 300 page book or whatever, but it doesn't feel like it. But I will say though, even though I don't think this exact layout's right, I would buy a Coriolis that was stripped of its art yeah, and was I, I would buy that too. I would buy both books if they would just sell me this that I can use at the table, I can flip through and use. Yeah, and the other one I can just peruse on my bed when I'm like, you know, wanting to. When it's a picture book, yeah. And and that's the thing too is like, even though that book that I'm describing for everyone else who's listening isn't appealing, you know, visually, it it has its it has an aesthetic that's not bad, like. It, it has a sort of like, it feels sci-fi when I read a Traveler book just because of how like pragmatic it is and it's sort of like utilitarian sense. And then in actual functionality, it's quite functional because there's nothing breaking up the things that matter from the things that that you're going to use. Yeah, and it, and it may be this pure sentiment, but I get goosebumps. It may even, I feel very nostalgic about Traveler even though I still have Traveler. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about. I do not. I, there's no other book that makes me look at that cover or even, you know, going through that Mayday, Mayday, this is Free Trader Beowulf. Mm-hmm. That like gets to me every time. I don't know why it is. Yeah. Um, but they, whatever they, whatever magic they hit, they hit. But yeah, I would love to see that. So I guess that'll kind of dovetail. We are hitting late, but I'm just going to go ahead and we're just going to go ahead and pull more subject. Yeah. Okay. All right. Sounds all great. Right. So now, now we're warmed up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's make this the longest podcast I've ever done because this is on my mind. And we could we, we got a couple more topics and come back some next time. But so we've been talking about layout, been talking about books, and I did post this on uh, on the Zine community on Facebook. In that, so I am doing um, so. Somebody produced a an OSR product, and it was it was not laid out well it's an old product and i'm i'm going through and making it pretty yeah cool and it's osr um and there's just a lot of abbreviations for you know you know armor class becomes ac 
saving throws become save, uh, you know, DS, whatever. I mean, it was not, it's not true. It's just save. Um, it's been, been condensed. Uh, and I've noticed reading through this, because it was written by an experienced gamer, and even reading through the, the way it was written is very understandable for a person who, um, for people who have any sort of experience, but for somebody new, I've noticed that it doesn't necessarily read well, and there's a lot of shortcuts that are done, and I'm not sure why we do that. So I guess the question is, and this thing I posted to the group, abbreviating terms in a text, the body of a text, should we be doing that? Is it a good idea or bad idea? Yeah. So I'm glad you asked this question. Uh, my, <laughs> it's a dog. So my dog's glad too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or hates it. <laughs> we don't know. But uh, so, you know, I, yeah, as I told you earlier, uh, before we actually like, you know, started recording is like my day job is as a verbal designer, which means that I am the person on the design team who is only talking about language and like sentence structure and what words we choose. And so I'm like, I'm curious about this because like on one hand, the rule is that you should try and use as natural speak as possible in most writing and be as, but also be as concise as possible. Like you don't want to obscure anything that you're trying to say. You're not trying to have like extraneous words in there. Like the word just when you're saying like, I'm just having, tr just trying to have a conversation. You just say, I'm trying to have a conversation. Like you, you right. remove certain words, but there's what's interesting about like the abbreviations thing is like, first off you, you ask like, is it, is it okay for it to be in the body text? So is this like, did you mean to be asked if it's, okay to be a body text is it specifically about the body text thing or do you just mean in general but that's specifically what well, you're seeing okay most. so i'm i'm gonna make some guesses so this is my guess is you know i, I mean you know i think about why why would you why would anybody abbreviate? like why do we even abbreviate and I, i'm thinking here's the thoughts that came to my mind i thought well there probably was a time when you know paper was expensive mm -hmm. and, and people would like they would write all sorts of ways they, they would like take a letter and they would write it they would keep reusing letters and, and keep writing in new spaces and they would, you know, so I thought there's probably that there's probably also your hand gets tired of probably, you know, spelling everything out. And there's probably some, some words or some phrases that are just, they just get hard. They just get tired, burdensome to yeah. write out, you know, and you would do it. But what I'm thinking is, but do we necessarily need to, be doing that in the body of a text do we need to be abbreviating terms yeah so my opinion is uh the answer is if you are abbreviating there's a, there's how do i say this you should you should feel free to abbreviate because it will do only good things for you all the way up until a very special point where you start to abbreviate things that nobody know, knew the abbreviation and you're teaching abbreviations to people in the yeah. text. So if your audience, and this is specifically for like a, an adventure for an established like setting or system or whatever, odds are they already know the abbreviations because they've read the rule book for the game. 
you can use any of their commonly used abbreviations in the body text. And one of the reasons why it's okay to do that is because of all the benefits it's going to give you as a designer by sort of giving up on having the full text. Like you're going to get faster, shorter sentences just because it's going to give you more space on a page. It's going to allow you to convey more information in a denser amount of space. But, and but I guess gonna, the question is, does it need to though? Does that, what, at what point oh, are you? Yeah. Probably. Yeah, I would say so. It's going to save you a lot of money. <laughs> like it's amazing. Like, and I, and what I mean by that is like, if you're laying, I'm going to just use, I, I keep using D and D cause it's such an easy yeah, no, that's example. A perfect one. Right. But like, if you wrote, wrote dexterity saving throw in a dungeon, that's a bunch of traps, you will lose pages to just those three words over and over and over again. Like as they, they, they sort of load up after a while, you start to get quite a few, you'll have a pile of those words. But if you just say deck save with the number, you do save a lot of space and that's going to give you a lot more energy. But also the, another thing too is like, this gets into the verbal design thing, but people don't read out acronyms like abbreviations. Yeah. And th that's not how abbreviations actually work. Like people. Sometimes they do. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they do. Uh, and it's interesting how it works because it's like the frequency of how many times you use it and the way it's used and how it's used emotionally changes, whether or not the person reads it as the acronym, like if they see deck save, do they say dexterity saving throw or do they just say dex save or to give a example, it's not gaming related. Not very many people read LOLs laughing out loud anymore. They just read it as LOL or lol. Yes. And uh, that's like the weird transitive property of language where if you use a thing well enough and it becomes almost like a, like a shorthand or like a, a marker rather than a word people then it, it, it takes on this new life as its own separate entity thing and then it doesn't become a a communication barrier or a, an element of wordiness in the text don't really say armor class a lot they'll say no they just say ac yeah and which because is that's one thing i did realize somebody yeah. brought up is that you know the way things are spoken and that is true yeah but, but I also just, and this is where it's kind of weird. It's like, I think, especially for some people that are new, and I think it's like, you know, if I look at like SV, VS, uh, poison, or yeah. save versus poison, or saving throw versus poison, the SV, VS, poison just seems weird. But maybe it's not. And then yeah. there's really not much letter difference between just writing out saving throw versus poison. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that, that's a good question or a good point is like, it comes down to taste and all comes down to like, uh, you know, making a judgment call. But like, I think using acronyms is fine. I don't think stacking acronyms next to each other is fine. Like, yeah. Which is like, uh, so like saving throw versus poison. Good. Save versus poison. Great. STVS, you know, versus yeah, yeah, yeah. and that may be more back PSN. going back in the 70s too, you know, where yeah, where the yeah, people are pulling out uh the old like matrix printers and stuff like that, and they're doing everything in latex. Uh yeah, no, it's 
I, I think in that particular instance, it's like, yeah, don't do that. And actually, like a good another example, sorry to interrupt, but it's oh, like, no uh, many people are trained almost to not like acronyms stacked on top of each other. It's why uh, someone who replies like LOL, ROFL, LMAO, or like a bunch of acronyms next to each other, you think the person immediately is annoying, you know, when you right. see it, you're like, that's, that person's awful. I don't want to associate, because it is, it's, it's, it's too much. And uh, I don't know why that is. Maybe it's because you're putting so much burden on the other person or because those acronyms, are, like I said, are markers. They're not words. So having multiple markers next to each other doesn't feel right. I but, think also it comes down to, you know, we've been talking to as I think there's a certain amount of the purpose of your text, Mm -hmm. You know, and so it's like, I think one aspect, one, I think one does arguably read better, but then again, but maybe when you're using it, not the first read through, but afterwards, maybe having it truncated makes it better. Yeah. And so there may just kind of be that sort of tension as far as, you know, so maybe some stuff that you would be reading, but when it comes to mechanics, you really want to get to the point with the mechanics probably. Yeah. And yeah. And there's certainly a usability and like ease of use that comes with using sort of acronyms. I'm, I'm wondering, it depends partly on the cultural uh, use of the of the word too. So, like going back to AC and armor class, if I saw armor class written out multiple, to, like a lot, in a adventure, like a module or something, I might think that's awfully strange, or at least it it wouldn't come off the tongue as easily, or even right. off my you know when I'm reading it in my own head because that's how I read because I'm whatever you know that's how it is. AC. You know, I, 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 I read how I talk. And so AC is easier for me to read. But like, that's one acronym where that's normal. If I had to do, uh, and like DEX is another acronym that is normal to me. But like strength, don't, I don't, it, it doesn't, I don't say, you know, like, so. It is kind of weird. And I think for me, it's like save or saving throw. I think I would use, I could see myself using either one and maybe sometimes saying saving throw and other times save and, yeah. and not really think about it. But you're right. Some things I wouldn't truncate and other things I would. I yeah. don't, th I think I'd always say out dexterity. No, that's yeah. not true. I'd say dex. Yeah. <laughs> and then there's the, there's the other element too of like, it changes because you're a person who speaks a language and you understand that music has like meter and like cadence and rhythm. And sometimes certain words work better because of the rhythm of the sentence or the prose that you have there. Like I will say dexterity in certain instances, but sometimes dexterity after certain words or before certain words is, a, is almost like a tongue twister. So you say dex instead, or you're going for a connotational difference and dex is uh, yeah, almost, it's almost dex, dex is almost more like assertive. Like it's directive. It's like, because you know it's a you know it's a, a stat when you say dex as opposed like it's gonna have a one to two digit number attached to it. And that's Whereas like dexterity way, right? isn't we don't say for the other ones we don't we don't truncate. 
No, yeah. Like, I don't think anyone really says whiz. Yeah. Or cha. It's just Make a whiz roll. <laughs> yeah. That'd be weird. Uh, <laughs> Which reminds me of a time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't think so. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and, that, and that's weird, right? Like, why Why on earth? And I mean, I, I know why, because it's an easy to say, like, three, it's... Oh, it's multi-syllable. Yeah, it's multi-syllable. It, it, come, it, it comes easy to the pronunciation. Everyone, everyone can come to the same conclusion on how it's The other ones pronounced. are multi-syllable, too. I, I don't know. It is strange. Yeah. Well, strength is strange because it doesn't have any vowels, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, that makes it a little bit harder. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other, what I think what causes me, I mean, to have this, this crisis was, uh, I, I bought this product called pro writing aid. So it's kind of like a, mm-hmm. it, it's the counterpart, I guess, to Grammarly. Yeah. And I just, and it really has brought to mind, they have this thing called uh, readability. Yeah. And I realized that I'm packing too much into a sentence without actually putting other words to kind of spread it out in a way that makes it more readable and less dense and it's like oh and i start seeing stuff and it's like it's like but i think what you're saying too is true it's i think you know we're not we're, we're writing game material we're not writing a novel we're not writing an essay yeah. i i have one of those apps as well to check for proofreading and i yeah. and i've gotten to the point now where i just i ignore the readability score because if i try and write for a sixth grade like reading level i can't do it i've tried it's hard <laughs> It's hard to write for like, like there's like some publications that like they only write in like a fourth grade reading level so that they can have more people able to read their publication. And I'm not, I'm not sure uh, if anyone has read something that's written at a fourth grade reading level or written some or, you know, written something in that, but it's really difficult because like, you're not allowed to use certain things. Like you can't use compound sentences. Yeah, this one doesn't really kill. Like it's not like grade reading level, but what I found what it does is, I can put the same amount of I can put more. I have to use I have to unpack things more. Mm-hmm. And I think what it's forced me to realize is I am packing too much stuff together. And you know, instead of just throwing in a, a pronoun or whatever, or a certain word, maybe I need to unpack a little bit further. And I realize it is making it more clear what I'm wanting to do. And it's forced me to rethink it. But I think there's another side effect where it's like, not everything needs to be that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, my, my biggest challenge that I always have at work is um, my desire to make the sentences all flow together. Cause I'm looking at it. I'm looking at this thing as a, the paragraph as a unit as its own, like an object that's all connected. But in actuality, when you want to write, in a very like technical sort of way. If you're used to reading prose for like a novel and you go to start reading a technical, it almost feels like non sequiturs because like the sentences are short. They have a hard stop and a new thing is being said in the next sentence, hard stop, new sentence. You know, there's not like any like blah, 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 blah. And then, so therefore, and then this and, you know, <laughs> M dash, you know, a side statement m dash and then go right. on with which is my favorite way of writing you know like i i love to you know talk m dash but not talk too much <laughs> m dash but talk enough you know <laughs> so so my communication at work which uh i think 
um, I've been commented on that's worked really well is I'm dealing with complex situations that need to be communicated to people at a higher level who don't have the ability to disseminate information quickly. Yeah. Or I need it to go to multiple people and I assign tasks and I got to make, I need to make things very clear and very simple. So I am very much at this point taking complex situations, breaking them down to bullet points and, and then highlighting people's names and, and, and making sure everything's methodical and soulless and strictly to the point. So I think that's probably where I'm going. I probably need to, when I'm writing for other, that things aren't like that, I need to get away from just, you know, bump, bump, bump. Like, yeah. It, it I, doesn't uh, make for good reading. My, 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 my stuff is, is great for, for summaries of a yeah. complex situation, but nobody's going to say, you know what, I, I want to read that tonight when I get home. This is, it's so yeah. good. It's like, yeah. I, you know, I write uh language like systems like this is how you should talk this is how you should write for brands like different companies and stuff like i did some of that for like brands like bird king and uh it's funny like i get i get in this like these problems these challenges where it's like i'll pick a word for its connotation but it means but words have different connotations for different people with different backgrounds oh yes they do and uh so you know one of the things that it's like I've been doing with the, like one of these brands, it's like making it appear younger, like appeal to a, a more younger audience, but it's executives. The people who run the company are cons- considerably seasoned and, and they see uh, the word, like the words that we're suggesting are meant to convey like joy and like earnestness. But to them, those words convey a lack of respect you know, or like uh, a flippantness. And that's a unique difference in connotation between the two audiences, because, you know, we're trying to make a thing that is like, hey, we want the audience to, to like us. And they're like, they think that that language would actually make the audience hate us, you know, like, it, it would make them upset. And it's like, no, we ha-. and that's why so much of what I do is like, assigned with like, research and like testing and all that other stuff. But then you get into gaming, and I am suddenly adrift without any, uh, you know, research outside of what I already know from work. So, yeah, it's it's weird. Uh, to get back to the question, at the end of the day, I think abbreviations are good. Okay. Well, I think that's a good place to end the podcast <laughs> because you also convinced me. I've yeah. changed my position. Yeah. All right. Cool. <laughs> You were least, you're so weak on it. You could have fought me back. back. <laughs> well, nah. the the logic I would say is pretty impeccable. I think I think we agree that that on the extremes it's bad. Yeah. As far I, as the uh, too much abbreviation, I've seen it done bad. So I wouldn't. I'm not like you know it, hard set black and white on this. Aimed at this was aimed at very maybe young or beginner level stuff. So that's another reason why I was trying to avoid the jargon. But the other thing is, but you also, if you don't start using the jargon, then that's going to be in every other product afterwards. Yeah. And maybe that transition is just very, is, is something that happens very easily. Yeah. 
So I don't know, um, but I have definitely changed from from a hard stance to a soft stance. And yeah. uh, maybe at the not, beginning of the maybe at the beginning of the document, you know, you have the term, it's full form, and then you have the parenthetical. Yeah, I know, I know that's the I know that's the that's the proper way of doing it. Yeah, but not everybody reads it that way. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, getting back to the readability thing. <laughs> It's, uh, but anyway, I think we are hitting the time space continuum. Yeah. We, we, uh, I'm sure you've got to get to bed and, uh, yeah, but it was great. It was always a pleasure. And until next time, uh, take care, Clayton. Sounds good. Take care.